Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. From What Goes On Media, this is Backstage With, taking you behind the scenes with your favourite actors and creatives in the world of musical theatre. I'm Mikey Worrell. Today we're going backstage with Gemma Sutton, who's currently playing Aladdin in Panto at the Hackney Empire. Gemma has been in loads of shows over the last few years. You may have seen her in Gypsy with Imelda Staunton, Sweet Charity at the Watermill Theatre, The Rink at Southwark Playhouse, Strictly Ballroom, Hairspray, Legally Blonde, to name a few. We had a chat in the green room where everyone who works at the Empire goes to eat and relax. It was a rare one-show day with only a matinee, so Gemma kindly stuck around after the show to talk to me. Here's our conversation. Welcome to the podcast, Gemma Sutton. Thank you very much. We are in the green room at the Hackney Empire. We are. I've never been here before, but I've heard it's the most beautiful auditorium in London. Is that true? It really is. You have to come and see it. You have to come see the auditorium. It's a Frank Matcham theatre so it's just beautifully designed beautiful and it's really quite spectacular so we'll go afterwards we'll go we'll go together <laughs> amazing thank you let's talk about Aladdin you've done a couple of pantos before but is this the biggest one I think so I think this is my seventh panto I've done a few in Sheffield and in Canterbury and things but it's just great to be doing pantomime in London yeah I think this is probably the biggest auditorium and there's something very special about Hackney Empire Panto. It's just got that extra special magic. I love it because of the diversity and the inclusion that we have in terms of the cast and everything. And there's also that little bit of a bit of politics in the jokes and things, which is great. It celebrates London like no other. And that fabulous cast, you know, people like Clive Rowe, Tamika Empson, Cat B, they come year and year, you know, because it's they just know it's just the best panto to be in. And it's great to be under the helm of Susie McKenna. This is her 20th panto. Wow. And Steve Edis has done a lot of, um, of some original music for it as well, as he, as he always does. So it's special. You've been going about a week and a half now, press mm-hmm. night tomorrow. Mm-hmm. How, how's it going so far? Are you enjoying yourself? Absolutely loving it. I really am. The audiences have just been fantastic. What's been so exciting and interesting so far is that we have our school's matinees in the days of the week and the evening shows are the more adult and family crowd. So each day our show is actually very different because inevitably the kids are going to react to certain things. They love, love the story, the exciting things about Aladdin going into a cave and finding a lamp. And, and seeing a genie whereas in the evening when we've got a more mixed crowd they can appreciate the different things about panto that we have the jokes and the humor of the script more you know the, with, with Clive leading that so it's been great and we've got a lovely rhythm to the show because inevitably it takes a little bit of time and you only find the rhythm once you have an audience in front of you but we had a quite luxurious three weeks rehearsal and a week tech is that quite long for Panto? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I've done sort of. We've opened within two weeks of. That's rehearsing. terrifying. It is. You sit. You know. You you block the show in, in two days, and then the rest of the rehearsal is spent with choreography, and learning music. So to have four weeks in total is just. It feels like a musical, and I would say that this Panto feels quite like a musical in just in every way. It's been directed really really well and with such detail the choreography the same the music 
I love it because we all sing the vocals live. So all the backing vocals, everything that you hear on stage is live. And so we're working really, really hard and we've got a great orchestra. So it's a really full sound. It's yeah, a huge, a huge production. Yeah. And, and I suppose as, a, as an actor, you must feel a lot safer coming into a panto where you've got a bit of a longer process and really intricate direction than just being thrown out somewhere in the country where you don't know anyone and having two weeks to just get something on stage. It's a real luxury and every beat has been worked like a musical. Yeah. And so therefore I feel like we've found our rhythm within the first few previews rather than usually your preview period up to press night is where you find it but we had it very early on which means now we've just been able to get tighter and tighter and so it's great it's really great pantos are known for often having quite a relentless schedule but this one seems quite kind how have you done ones before where it's been like three shows a day or, or you know two show days for four days on the trot i think we i've done a few three show days in the past which is hard you say that this is an easy schedule it's not really we still do two shows a day this week's a little bit different with press night but we generally have 11 shows a week okay that, so that's that is still intense. yeah so we've so it is it is full-on but that's panto how do you keep yourself going through that it's all that stuff that you know we we all get told just eat really healthily lots of sleep no big old nights out on the town of course just making sure that you don't push vocally in the show it's very easy when you've got all these children wonderful children screaming at you to to shout back and to get carried away in the moment yeah but we rely very much on our incredible sound department to bring the level up if, if necessary I'm an idiot and I've given myself quite a tricky vocal track, like lots, oh, really? of, quite high, lots of high belting and stuff. And, we love that. Um, just because it's such a great thing to have this great band and the songs are so good. You said there was some original music. Mm. What songs do we know that are in it? Well, I bet it doesn't take you long to guess that we've got the greatest showman in there, which I'm sure every panto in the land will Probably. have this year. <laughs> this year's Let It Go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But it's a great, great song and in fact we're doing a little medley with this is me and come alive it's our act one closer and it's a great song and what's happening in the matinees which is which is just gorgeous is there's a great lyric um that i sing when the sharpest words want to cut me down i'm gonna sound a flood gonna drown them out i'm brave i am bruised i'm who i want to be this is me and what's happening is that the kids are joining in they obviously have done it at school and stuff and also it's a massive hit it's moved us all so much to hear it because to hear a thousand children singing at the top of their lungs and it's such a song of empowerment it's really really magical so um greatest showman we've got can you feel it don't stop me now um great take that song there's lots of songs that yeah definitely that you you hear all the audience yeah sing along and then the original songs there's an opening number called Harkarne because that's where we've set our panto in Harkarne. Okay. Doesn't take long to work out what that is, and that's got some fabulous lyrics about Brexit, basically. Brilliant. Because um, those jokes are sort of patted through the show. Great are you lyric. finding that lots of the Remain jokes are getting a good response? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's what makes Panto such a fun experience because it's very collective. Yeah. It's a collective experience, and we've got a few jokes about Jacob Bree's Marg and and um, Michael Gove. Yeah, because that's 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 what's happening politically in the in the country yeah. right now. And that's the best thing about Panto. Yeah, all all like harmless fun. Oh, you know, like it's just a little tip here and there to what's going on and and the adults just love that. 
You must have had quite a tight turnaround because it wasn't that long ago that you were doing Sweet Charity at the Watermill. Oh, I loved that job. I absolutely loved it. It was this perfect combination of working at the Watermill, which is something I've always wanted to do. I love the countryside, I think because I'm a farmer's daughter. The Watermill's a magical place. It was an actor muso version of the show, which made it really interesting. So were you playing an instrument as well? Well, I cheated, really. Because charity is quite busy and full on and she doesn't really have time I just had the odd finger symbol and triangle Brilliant. and a little bit of piano because I do play the piano but it was really the rest of the cast that were showing me how it was done the show itself is a really great piece of, of work with Neil Simon having written the book it's such a funny funny script and everything's there for you so it was just great to have such a solid solid book great choreography um, by Tom Jackson Greaves um, and the direction by Paul Hart and the musical director was Charlie Ingalls and um, Sarah Travis. Sarah Travis is just a legend, you know, Tony award-winning musical director. So I loved it. I absolutely did. Rebecca Traherne was doing it at the same time in Nottingham and I spoke to her when she was in rehearsals for it and for so many people that is like the, the pinnacle role, isn't it? What attracted you to charity? how complex she is and what a a tragic character she is actually she has this optimism and that's why we love her charity hope valentine it's all in her name and yet it's covering an enormous amount of insecurity because she keeps choosing the wrong men and she doesn't quite know what love is and these terrible relationships and these men that are using her that don't love her so it's great to do that part as a woman, particularly now. We're in a different, we're living in, in a different world, so it's great to approach it now. We also set it in the modern day, which is really interesting. And for me, the part was about realizing that she needed to learn to love herself before she tried to get into a, a loving relationship with another person. So it's something we can all relate to, I think. Alice certainly could relate to it because we had such great direction and the cast was so great and the women in the cast you know it's a good piece for women that that show so we had lots of interesting discussions the ending has always almost been different in almost every production it's ever had how did you have the ending mm, interesting yeah it's a question it's the first question we all asked in the in the rehearsal room Sarah Travis who I've mentioned musical supervisor Um, director did a great arrangement where the instruments all played a cacophony of different melodic lines throughout the show so it was very much Charity's life bearing down on her and all her memories Oscar had pushed her into the lake and just this confusion of what's happening you know what's happening we did have the fairy the good fairy it was voices with the female ensemble and the line worked quite well actually because it switches to Watch the good fairy on CBS. That's the final line. And that's Charity realising that all the things that she has been filling her mind with, the magazines, the terrible television, it's made her a certain way, but it's not real. The media has sort of affected her in a negative way. And the final beat was just me on stage in a spot singing, I'm the bravest individual I have ever and I couldn't finish the phrase, which is met. So it's quite powerful. The Watermill audiences couldn't quite cope with it because it was quite a sad ending. Yeah. But the very final thing I did was click the lights to 
and make it a blackout. And for me, that was an empowering thing to do because she was in control of her next move. So even though it was a sad ending, I thought it was actually quite powerful and empowering for her. And she still made progress in that moment from where she was at the beginning. She did because she knew that it was her responsibility now to make changes. And that the message about the media sort of twisting reality is mm-hmm. such a strong message mm. nowadays. I love Isn't that. It? That's yeah. such a good way of doing it. Yeah, oh, thank I love you. that. Yeah. You mentioned that you love the countryside and that you're a farmer's daughter. <laughs> Where did you grow up? So I grew up in Macclesfield in Cheshire, so north northwest. Yeah, my dad was a was a dairy farmer, so we had a small holding. So it was quite a, a quaint picturesque um, existence, you know, you can imagine a couple of ponies and chickens and dogs and stuff. Lovely, lovely, lovely way to grow up. We moved when I was 15 from the farm and I was just obsessed by amateur dramatics. So I was just doing that every night, really, dance class, singing lessons. My dad plays the piano, so he's very much my musical influence growing up. Mum doesn't, but her parents were in amateur dramatics in terms of uh, drama plays, so that's probably where I've got that side of things from. Uh, also used to go to the Sunday school and, and when I was very little and sing in church there. So I was just my life was filled with music. And we used to sing in the local nursing home as well. Yeah, me and my dad. And it would be all the Disney songs and stuff like that. So were you going into Manchester a lot to see the touring productions or were you coming down to London? or? I don't remember going to Manchester a lot. I know I saw Miss Saigon in Manchester early on. It was sort of... A mix, really. I remember, I think Notre Dame was one of the first things I saw in London. You know, the, the French version of Hunchback of Notre Dame? Yeah, that's which, quite heavy. Yeah, but I absolutely loved it. It just brings back a lot of memories of me being entranced at an age where I was obviously very impressionable. With musicals, it was more, I listened to the Evita soundtrack on repeat, the Madonna one, and Les Mis and Miss Saigon. They're the ones that really stick and crazy for you as well actually because I did it a couple of times in Amdram and then that's when I realised how much I loved that jazz the 30s and 40s sound of Gershwin and Jerome Kern and and Harold Arlen as well that's when that sort of got into me and it's still my favourite genre now I think of those old school musicals So you were mid-teens when you started doing all of that is that right? Well my first part hilariously was The King and I when I was seven so my mum answered an advert in the local paper they were looking for children for King and I so this was my first audition for the Amateur Dramatic Society and I got to play Princess Ying Yaolak which is that lovely part at the end when Anna is is dying she has this little speech Princess Ying Yaolak oh the the king the The king is dying the king's dying the king's dying Anna Anna doesn't die doesn't she she Dear didn't. friend and teacher, you are she's sure? leaving. Oh well, maybe she's leaving. Oh, I should have we done my the, research we can't, at seven. We, we can't change the ending. <gasps> How awful! Anyway, sorry, you didn't I was want doing to correct a speech. You. No, you're absolutely right. I need to do my research when I was seven, didn't I? <laughs> anyway, and this speech, I kept going higher and higher, like da 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 da. And I remember people laughing in the audience because I was going higher and higher in this speech. And from that age, I'd just go and be in all the pantomimes and shows if I was right for it. So, for example, Sound of Music, it was uh, Brigitte and things. And I just lived and breathed it. It was good training and it helped when I went to drama school, actually. Having been in so many shows, I understood the history of musicals a bit because I'd been in so many and 
I learned a lot. And sort of the classic ones as well, which are sort of like the bedrock, aren't Those, they? Yeah, the great Rodgers and Hammerstein, yeah. yeah. So when it came to choosing a drama school, did you have an idea of where you wanted to go or did you just kind of go, pick one and, and we'll go and see? I was really stressed about it. I remember being extremely stressed and because it was A-levels and things, which is a stressful time for any young person... I remember I applied for nine schools, some of which were university courses, so it would be drama at uni. I was also fascinated by acting, so some of the courses were acting courses rather than musical theatre. So just a thought, try nine, you know, spread. (laughs) So you hopefully had a chance of getting in somewhere. Arts Ed, which is where I went to, was... I didn't know about it. And my story is I went to an open audition for Mamma Mia when I was both 16 and 17. So they had open calls. I didn't want to go. I remember it's someone from my Metro Dramatics saying, no, you should go. So I queued around the corner in Manchester and I got on stage and I sang Blame It On The Boogie. <laughs> and they, and I recall, they recalled me and I was being recalled for Sophie actually in London at 16 and 17, which... 16, which was the most exciting thing ever. I couldn't believe it. I didn't get it that year, but they called me back the next year straight to London, again, 17. And I spoke to the director on the phone because I didn't have an agent, so I was actually speaking to the casting director and people on, like, at 17, it was crazy. And he said, we really like you, but go to, you know, go to do some training and we'll see you after that. So he suggested Artsed. It was a man called Peter Addis. And I've got such a lot to thank him for because I would never have known about it. Because you don't know it. As a, as a young person, if you don't live near London, it's a stab in the dark. You just don't know. And there's so many courses now as well. I mean, everyone's got a different path. And just because you don't go to one of those the big old drama schools certainly doesn't mean that you wouldn't be successful. But I thank him so much. So I went to what I said. Now, I'd never got into Mamma Mia after that, actually. Yeah. I, did audition. I did audition after I went to drum school, but it just didn't work out. But these, these links, you learn a lesson and you just know that just because you want something, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get it. But also, it, it served its purpose in getting you where you needed to go. Oh, so, so life is, fascinates me, how the choices that you make or the opportunities that you get, how it forms what you do in, in life. But that's a big old discussion for another time yeah, yeah. well thank god that person from amateur dramatics oh, told you to go I know. yeah she said no you got to go i don't want to no you got to oh, imagine if if 16 17 year old you had seen you on screen with imelda staunton the the show that you're probably best known for is gypsy yeah what was that like i came to see you in chichester um, and, and me and my friend were both like, oh, this will transfer. I mean, pretty much everything transfers from there, doesn't it? But it, that was almost certain. It was so thrilling. It was so thrilling. I'll, I'll never forget the first run that we did in the rehearsal room and seeing Imelda sing those two numbers, actually, the act one closer and, and then act two with Rose's turn. Oh, goodness me, the whole room, even the children, the, the children um, who play the younger versions of us, they were enthralled too. And so when you've got six and seven-year-olds just mesmerised by a performer you know that something magical is happening Chichester was great obviously you know rehearsals are very intense and you go through a lot and I was playing a part when I played June I had to go on point and baton twirl and do the splits and half of your backstage white lights are here at stage door white lights are here at stage door it's all part of the magic. Yes, it is. <laughs> Definitely the Hackney Empire, everybody. Um, and also the vo- vocally, it was quite 
demanding because I sang it in this high, high register. Here's a little tip for you guys. Don't do it in audition. <laughs> what you can't do eight shows a week. Because I belted that silly farm boy. Uh, I have a moo cow, a new cow song in the audition, which meant that then I <laughs> did oh, it. God. So it was very vocally demanding. Luckily, I sort of, like had some vocal massages to help me because it was it was tough, you know. But it all adds to her being a restricted person. You know, she's too old to be dressed as a six-year-old, and um, she's actually a teenage woman who's growing up. But it also it all added to that tension. I hope that definitely comes through because it's it's too high for her almost. Yeah. But she's having she's been to forced yeah. by obviously Mama Rose. So I'm glad that that read, and then to do it just a fantastic and then to do the West End the Savoy and we knew that it was a sort of a theatrical event and watching Imelda do it every night my goodness me with the passion and the focus and it's extraordinary what she what she did for you know it was a long run so it was great and then to play Louise as well um for the last few months just felt I was so privileged and Imelda and I got on really well and which was nice and it was just I understood that family unit and the family dynamics so well that to play Louise actually was I wouldn't say it was easy but it felt manageable because I understood that family it will go be my most exciting job I think when I, the, so I far yeah so far but there's something special about that you must be one of the only people in the world who's played June and Louise especially <laughs> in the same production yeah. that must that's so rare yeah it was it was amazing and you're always going to be playing Louise before we started the London run oh, right, it had okay. all been discussed and stuff and how did it come about well I know that Lara wasn't going to do the full run I think she had film commitments and things in America because she lives in LA and I believe, I believe it was Imelda who said, I think Gemma would be good, you know, would be good. So I owe her so much. So I met with the director, Jonathan Kent, just went round to his house, read the script a bit and, you know, did a bit, bit, bit of work and then it was decided. So all through the London run, I sort of had it in my head that that would be the what I was heading for, gave me loads of loads of time to process it and think about the character. You know, it was luxurious to have like at least six months to be thinking about Louise. And you know what's so crazy? Playing Louise was so much easier than playing June. It was so much easier because physically I wasn't, my body was, was just much more relaxed. All of a sudden I could just, just tell a story and not have physical stress on my larynx or my, my body with no more doing the splits and cartwheels and things. So, and that must have reduced your anxiety outside of work time, worrying absolutely. about your, your physicality yeah, and all that. It was just so, so great. And we didn't mean Imelda, because of course Imelda was was working extremely hard. We didn't have loads of rehearsal together, but, but when we did rehearse, it was in her dressing room, which was so cool. Like it wasn't on stage. We'd just do bits in her dressing room. But lots, it's funny because obviously the story is a story told in lots of dressing of rooms and things. So it actually worked quite well. What was going through your head when you're in Imelda Staunton's dressing room for a rehearsal? Well, by that time, like we're, we're mates and we'd been mates for a long time. So it was just, it didn't feel, I wasn't intimidated. Of course. Which I was, of course, at first. Because anybody that you meet who's famous that you work with, it takes a bit of time to feel relaxed and just to be a normal person and not say silly thing, things. Yeah. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. 
So who took over from you as June when you moved on to Louise? So Lauren Hall played June. She was one of the understudies of June already. So there was a bit of a shift, yeah, a shift up, as it were. Um, She was brilliant, Lauren, really great. Because um, the last person I interviewed for the podcast was Claire House. Oh, yeah. Uh, so she was saying about how understudying you and how she had to go on and, and sort of Imelda was dealing with different understudies and mm-hmm. and how hard it was. But she said that she just loved watching you every night. Oh, Claire is one of the nicest people in showbiz, everybody, if you didn't know already. Like she, her heart is so big. She's just so lovely. And I'm so, so thrilled for her with that. She's absolutely smashing it in 42nd Street and she deserves it so much. I'm so glad they filmed it. Oh, yeah. Yes, that's great. So it's immortalised. Oh, good. Well, it deserves that. How she does that every night, I have no idea. The entire run as well. <gasps> yeah. Yeah, incredible. So you both did Hairspray as well. So did you take over from her or did she take over from you? I did the tour of Hairspray and it was the second Stage Ents tour. So Stage Ents were the production company that did it in the West End. And it, so it's the final version of that. So, oh, so Claire did the first one. So Claire did the first tour, so there would have been a... a a gap yeah oh, before they took it out again I really loved that job we were actually directed by the American team for the tour doesn't always happen that's so rare it was directed with such detail and we went into all the research and history about what it was like to be done you know in the on those kind of shows in the in the 60s it wasn't just thrown at us and put on stage we we went through all the different stages of a great rehearsal process so I loved it Great so show. Did you have Jack O'Brien doing it with he you? He came in for what, for one day. Jack came in with Jerry Mitchell. That was like final runs and gave the most fantastic advice. And we were directed by his associate who would have been doing the American um, version. So he knew, you know, it inside out. But to meet Jack, fantastic to meet Jerry. I mean, I'd already worked with Jerry on Legally Blonde. The show itself, I love the message of the show. I think the music, some of the best music in musicals. Everything about that show works. I want them to bring it back. Yeah, it's desperate for a revival. Yeah. So desperate. That takes us nicely onto Legally Blonde. Mm-hmm. Um, you came in... They'd done two years and I was the, in the final cast. We did six months. Right. That was a really cool job. Uh, wonderful to be in the West End because the previous two shows I'd done in the West End hadn't been particularly successful. So I, I have the award for being at the New London Theatre doing Gone with the Wind and then straight after Imagine This neither of those shows worked um, it was quite heartbreaking like to, to, to be so excited and then for things to close so Legally Blonde it was great to be in something that was a success my experience was interesting because I was playing Enid but understudying Elle which was quite the contrast of characters great for you though because to be able to play such a diverse oh yeah which is what team. I absolutely love doing anyway it's the thing that gives me the greatest pleasure is being challenged by characters. And I remember they asked me to wear a blonde wig for the audition for Elle. So there's me going to some a wig place to get this blonde wig and then going to the audition on the bus, I remember, in this blonde wig oh, and sunglasses. I wanted to get to the audition. I had this blonde wig on. <laughs> I must have looked so silly. But it, it worked. You know, I did get, you know, get the job, which is what I was going for, which was the understudy. And I got on loads. I think I got on about 30 times, which was which is great because I really felt like I could, could get a good hold of it because it's hard with, with being an understudy. I respect understudy so much to sort of just go in and do it and finding the rhythm of the show because obviously all the actors on stage have a certain rhythm and you have to like just go and match that immediately. So 
So it's a fun job. And you're on stage as Elle, like pretty much the whole way through. When you are covering a part like that, how hard is it to sort of go on once and then you might have a couple of weeks where you're not on again and then it's almost like doing it again for the first time? You're constantly on alert, like in terms of your body is constantly in a state of stress because you have to be ready to go. And parts like that as well, there's all the quick changes and things. So not only do you have to think about what you're doing on stage, but the backstage track is as stressful. So there's an enormous amount to remember. I was quite lucky with Legally Blonde in that Carly, the gorgeous Carly Stenson, who I understudied, who I just adore, she's such a nice girl. She was a yeah a great person to, to understudy. And she, because she was doing the show in the evenings, during our rehearsal time, she wasn't there lots in rehearsals because, of course, she was looking after herself. So I of, often got to play Elle in the rehearsals which was great for me because I felt like I had just had that slight head start rather than just starting understudy rehearsals once we'd opened. So that helped. It was lots of fun. And a lovely supportive cast like Stephen Ashfield was playing... Uh, what's It's not Warner, it's the other one. Oh, God, it's um, gone from my brain. I oh, know this. Oh, come on, guys. You, you'll be all screaming at it in the podcast. Emmett. Emmett, yeah. And he was just adorable. So, yeah, it was nice. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen... There's a YouTube video of when the show was in tryouts in San Francisco doing so much better you know the kick yeah um laura bell bundy's shoe flies off into the audience i have seen that yeah it's amazing did anything like that ever happen to you no i'm sure things happened with the dog i'm sure things happened with that little dog because they don't they're so tiny little dogs and sometimes they don't want to come on stage and stuff so things like that do you know what i can't remember any major dramas when i went on um, I didn't fall over because I'm often falling over on stage. Um, of course, and there was lots of high stiletto heels for, for Elle. No, I'm boringly... Oh, I tell you what happened once. I have to slap Professor, the Callahan. teacher. Callahan. yeah. And it was Peter Davidson who just did Gypsy with as well. And in, it, technically with slapping, you have to have like a really relaxed hand so it doesn't hurt the person. Well... On my first few times playing out, I was, of course, my body was in a state of anxiety. Cause it's the, tension, yeah, I guess. So I have to apologise, and I've apologised to him so many times for this, that <laughs> it was quite a hard slap. It was a quite a hard slap. I think it hurt him quite Method. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I'm sorry, Peter, but he knows I'm apologetic because we became great mates on Gypsy. Amazing. <laughs> Awful. <laughs> <laughs> what was your favourite part of that show? Because it's got so many great moments, especially if you're playing that part. Well, So Much Better is a great, great song. So, And I think that would be the song that I'd auditioned with. So to sort of feeling that, gosh, this was the song that I did in the auditions and here I am now on stage, that was a lovely, a, a great moment. And um, I always enjoyed the Legally Blonde well, I love that ballad, actually, in the second half. That's a great song. Lots of moments, really. And just working with the dog. And then my last question, so you can go home. Ah, no, <laughs> is, I had a lovely time. Um, oh, good. Uh, the last question is, if you could choose a revival, any show to be in, and the part you could play in it, what would you choose? I do love Candor and Ebb. I love doing Chicago, the Leicester Curve, and the rink earlier this year was definitely one of the favourite jobs I've done. So... I really want to play Sally Bowles in Cabaret because I love the music. It's a great, great... She's such an interesting character. So that that one, probably. <laughs> That's a, a very good choice. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. We had a lovely time. Oh, good. And we're going to go look at the auditorium. Yes, yes, yes. Let's do that. 
The auditorium definitely lives up to the hype, as you'll know if you've been. I took a few pictures, so if you haven't been, you can see what it looks like. They're on Instagram at Backstage with Podcast. You can see Gemma and Aladdin at the Hackney Empire until the 6th of January. She's then going to be in the revival of Follies when it returns to the National Theatre in February. And that's it for 2018. If you've loved listening to the podcast this year, please subscribe and leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening to this. I'll be back in January when we're going backstage at Her Majesty's Theatre with Jeremy Taylor, who's playing Raoul in Phantom of the Opera. Until then, thanks for listening. Listening.